I'm passionate that our industry needs to build a more diverse workforce um, and really around females. So we don't have enough females in uh, leadership positions in our industry. That's not acceptable anymore. If we want to have sustainable businesses for the future, we need to do something about that. You need to be proactive. It's not just going to happen, right? Hello and welcome to the Leader Insight series, the platform designed to uncover the secrets to career success and gain real insight from senior figures across the food and drink industry. I'm Jonathan O'Hagan and my special guest today is Peter Allen. Peter is the UK Managing Director for Cargill's Protein Division, a 300 million turnover business employing over 350 staff, servicing the retail, food service and B2B channels. Having graduated from Westminster University, Peter initially served five years with the British Army before joining Cargill in 1995. Having enjoyed a very successful career with Cargill spanning 25 years, Peter progressed his way up through the organisation and became a member of the European board for Cargill's 1 billion turnover group. In addition, in 2014, Peter became chair of the board for the BFFF, the British Frozen Food Federation, and is currently a member of the British Poultry Council. Peter, it's a pleasure to have you on. Welcome. Hey, no problem at all, Jonathan. Nice to be with you today. Yeah, no, pleasure to have you on. I'm uh, I'm particularly pleased to have you as a guest, Peter, because I suppose in a unique way, your background was military to begin with, Peter. And that leads me into my first question, really. What attracted you, I suppose, to a career to the food industry, given that your initial five years post-uni was in military? Well, there certainly wasn't a master plan to get into the food industry. Um, I, As you say, I, I did a five-year short service commission with the Green Howards, the Yorkshire Infantry Regiment. I left not really knowing what to do and took some time to network and people gave their time freely to speak to me about their different industries. And a pal of mine suggested that I should look at the food industry. And I began to network and be interviewed for companies uh, within the food industry. And I was interviewed at Cargill. At the time, it was trading as Sun Valley Foods, uh, based out of Hereford. And I was fortunate that that company and the managing director at the time, a guy called Alan Teal, was recruiting non-foodies into his business to develop a talent base, so bring a different thought process, what they would say, bring the outside in, different perspective, but bring complementary skills into the food industry. And actually what attracted me to Cargill at the time and why I chose them over other industries and other professions was undoubtedly the people I met on that afternoon their engagement, their view of the world, their ambitions, uh, how the business treated its employees. It was certainly mechanical. It was certainly ever-changing. It was fast-paced. So I think that by the very nature of it uh, attracted me to Cargill, but also to the food industry. Ultimately, you make a choice. And I made a choice on their values, their culture and their direction. And actually, it wasn't a bad decision that I made because 25 years later, I guess the food industry runs through my DNA now, Mm. but I still look back at that time and think, what are the key points from that time that I would have used over my 25 years? And I've always tried to attract a different type of person into the industry when you go through the recruitment process. And one of the problems with recruitment 
it says you've all got to have a degree and you've all got to do this and you've all got to have done this and you've all so everybody's got to be a superhuman well that's not how the world actually is and you do need a mix of build and buy in an organization and i think the time alan got it right in terms of recruitment of people into the business they complement what you build and what you bring in and secondly the life lesson from that point was networking networking is a bit like a muscle you have to work at it and people don't necessarily are not necessarily that uh, great at it but both for recruitment and career development but also for business reasons i think businesses have to network in industries and communities and stakeholders so and i think back those two points about uh, building a diverse complementary skill set and then networking and were the sort of the two key points back from when i came out of the army but i certainly didn't have a master plan and i don't have a master plan today someone told me just be the best you can be in the job that you're doing and your career will look after itself do not worry about your next job that you want to do or who's doing that job just be the best person you can and your career will kind of look after itself quite simple it is true in a foundation you do need to do with the things around that in terms of career development but certainly no master plan i think i made the right decision 25 years ago i definitely agree with that and um yeah some good advice there did you find it a challenge to get into the food industry then peter cuz i i have come across people with a military background but not that often i must admit so did you find it a big challenge to get through the door i mean you mentioned sounds quite easy with cargo but was there a bit of effort there well, before I d- cargo yeah i mean off? i don't think it was easy i think i was in a way lucky that at the time the business was wanting to recruit non foodies for example they recruited two two army officers two coal uh, miners uh, at that time so we were lucky that the door was partially open of course you've got to interview well and and demonstrate your key skills to enable the decision to be made i don't think industry does enough proactively to recruit services people into their businesses mm-hmm. certainly in my uh, responsibility for the factory in wolverhampton there are an inordinate amount of people that quietly work in our business the rex forces engineering operationally but i don't think there's a concentrated effort by industry to recruit from ex forces because mm-hmm. there's this sort of the misconceptions about what you get mm. and uh, i i don't think that's true today i don't think it's ever been true that a certain type of person comes from the forces you do need to have very uh, defined requirements both parties i think the forces are doing a lot more they need to be more proactive there was a time when i left literally i handed in my boots and and military card and walked out the door and that was it yeah i was left to my own devices certainly the military has been much more proactive in enabling its service people to find employment elsewhere yeah um, yeah it's a good point you make actually peter i i observe when you look at fmcg or retail especially here in the uk on a global scale it's leading the way very much so it's competitive it's tough so as a result you know good people often get pulled into other less developed markets um and I, and i wonder why there isn't more done looking at other industries like you say military or other industries and pulling those resources into 
the food industry, the beverage industry, um, and you think it's maybe a misconception thing with the military? You say it's changed over the years? It's definitely changed, and I would say uh, the food industry is much more constructive in terms of its recruitment. You know, certainly key skills on engineering, PL, electronics, uh, leadership, people management, operational process. There are definitely much better recruitment from industry into the armed forces today than it was 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And likewise, the military is much more front and center when it comes to having a responsibility to find uh, individuals, their next career progression. Yeah, Um, Yeah. So it is different. And I think it is for the better. Could it be better? Yes. I think there's a, a reservoir of talent in the forces that can be managed. But it's like any transfer of culture, right? So the person that's arriving has to assimilate themselves into a business just as the business has to take ownership of the new individual. And and that's just a management of change. Mm -hmm. But I've always um, been surprised how well ex-military individuals do in industry and business given the chance. And Mm -hmm. I would always commend businesses that need to hire to look at uh, their local recruiting Army regiments, Navy, RAF, and mm. look to recruit because the ski skills are immense. Yeah, you know, you've yeah. got individuals perhaps who have gone from limited education, come through the ranks, who come out as extreme professionals for man management, process, electronics, engineering, that really do complement businesses and can yeah. manage under pressure. I mean, what the forces does provide for you is the ability to manage under pressure and get things done in a team environment. Well, you, you, you've, you've stolen my thunder a little bit, Peter, with my next question. It was going to be very much on that topic. You know, you're a great example of someone who's come from the military, had a fantastic 25-year career in the food industry. My question was going to be, and you've touched upon it there a little bit, what do you believe, from an attribute perspective, that's made you successful in the food industry that maybe you've brought from a military background? So I, I would definitely say that a strong work ethic, I, that you can take that for granted. But I think the key is being smart with the work that you do. And I think the military and the food industry enables you to be a better worker, so a smarter worker. You have to accept that you can't do it all yourself. So team is greater than the individual. And I think that's what attracted me to the food industry because businesses are based on teams, when I think about the military and I think the food industry, the, it's not hierarchical structure. Many organizations are running matrices today, but it's people intensive. Um, so team is at the heart of both organizations and the success of a, of a business is really when teams are high performing. Right? And you really think of the good times or even the really hard times in organizations when things don't go right. When you get them fixed, it's because teams come together with a united front. And leadership of a team, both in the military and the food industry, means that leaders need to make those difficult decisions based on fact and not emotion. Whether you're under fire or you're producing an order for Tesco's, yeah, and things aren't there, decisions need to be made. And I think that's a prime output from my time in the army or anybody's time in the military is the ability to be brave enough to make a decision it is often said that any decision is better than no decision yeah 
Um, but you need to create an environment. So the attributes are, as leaders, you need to create an environment of what I would call positive friction, pushing each other, realizing that you don't know it all, that you need other people's input mm -hmm. in a candid and open dialogue so that you can push each other, you can get to a solution. But ultimately, a person needs to have made a decision and that decision then gets carried out into action plans. And as you move through organizations, those decisions might be day-to-day -day or they become more strategic. Whichever it is, strategic or management day-to-day, -day, they need to be transferred into clear communication. And often businesses lose themselves with a grandiose strategy. We're going to grow to be number one. We're going to buy X. Um, but forget about transferring the information down through an organization. So actually the team leader on the line, what they're doing on the day-to-day -day basis is aligned with the, the organization. And the organization prioritizes the amount of work that is being done. And lastly, I think I would say leaders, both in the military and in business, need to be optimistic. To be a good leader, you need to be optimistic. Mm. It doesn't mean that you've got a foolish view of the world and just everything's going to be all right. Mm. But you do need optimism in the darkest time in our industries when things aren't going well. People would like to know that there is some form of positivity, that the mm. direction that you're going on is the right one and that we seem to be in control. But you also need to be pragmatic. And what I mean by pragmatic, Jonathan, is you deal with the reality you're in. Often, people are just too wishful, right? When it's going well for you, it's okay. You can run with the momentum. But actually, good leadership is about dealing with the pragmatic realization that you are in X, but you need to do Y to get out of X. So that balance between optimism and a pragmatic nature, I think, is extremely important. And mm -hmm. certainly through the military journey, that's what it's about. It's dealing with the pragmatic nature of the situation you're in. Mm. It, it always says, and I've always, I've always used the analogy, it's no plan survives contact with the enemy, right? And what I mean by that in business is we're going to grow to number one. Well, it's never a linear line to get to number one. Mm. It's always a bit of a snake line, and it's a bit like snakes and ladders where you go up and you drop down. You still want to be number one, mm. but you've got to be agile. You've got to be resilient. You've got to have people that enable action and momentum to continue. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, everyone's got a plan, Peter, until they get punched in the face. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Which is a saying I quite like. So touching upon leadership there, Peter, um, do you think, well, in your opinion, what does good leadership look like? And do you feel it's changed this year with everything that's gone on? Uh, it's a good, really good question. I, I mean, I think leadership has a, a number of characteristics that have always been important. A hundred years ago, when Nelson was about, uh, when Churchill, you know, when you think about great leaders, not all leaders have to have all of the characteristics. That's not correct. Um, so characteristics, you need to be trusted. You need to be authentic. You need to be candid. You do need to be successful. But leadership evolves. And if I think about the marketplace today, the digitalization of the marketplace, how consumers are shopping, the digitalization of supply chains, the fact that the compet competitors today aren't traditional businesses that have big assets, big footprints. So leadership needs to evolve in line with its marketplace. And I think that's always been thus. 
businesses fail because leaders forget to evolve their leadership style that fits the changing dynamics of the organization. Um, and in the military, for example, leaders used to transfer organizations every 18 months to two years. So every two years, you got a new leader. I don't think that's necessarily suitable for business. But businesses shouldn't always have the same leader for every single situation. And businesses should change their talent base in accordance with the market that they're sitting in today. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. We've seen, certainly I've observed some changes within organisations when COVID hit and, you know, the world did change quite dramatically, quite quickly. There was a different style of leader that was needed within certain organisations. So it's a good point you make there for sure. Again, in your opinion right now, Peter, what's the biggest challenge you think facing the industry as a whole? What's the burning issue for you, would you say, right now? You can't avoid COVID, right? Who would have thought 12 months ago we'd be doing what we're doing today? Industries would be facing their biggest challenge. So you need to build plans now to be able to enable your businesses to survive through COVID. I actually believe that people will not all remain at home and they'll go back to offices, but office space will become different. It'll, it'll feel differently. I actually think the traditional view that you need to go to an office to be seen in an office. That's a good thing that COVID has brought, actually. I mean, it's one of the few things, right? Um, but so it'll be, it'll change. But I think broader than that, you've got consumer preferences. So pre-COVID, people, consumers were now beginning to really think about where do the products come from? Where do my products come from? What's mm-hmm. important to me as a consumer? Are environmental issues the most important for me? Is it cost? they will resurface in terms of consumer choice. Obviously, you've got Brexit that everybody seems to have forgotten about, but it will come back. But for me, two key challenges is, especially in the food industry, is a talent. I'm passionate that our industry needs to build a more diverse workforce um, and really around females. So we don't have enough females in uh, leadership positions in our industry. So that's not acceptable anymore. If we want to have sustainable businesses for the future, we need to do something about that. You need to be proactive. It's not just going to happen, right? Uh Again, I go back to my optimism and my pragmatic view. Yeah, I wish there were more females in in the food industry. Mm. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? So businesses have to build robust plans to develop from within, and to hire and it'll be a journey for 10 years a decade Mm. but without that we will not be as competitive as we should be and the second central theme for me is around sustainability yes sustainability in longevity but sustainability in companies being braver around the environmental footprint i think businesses per se do some great things But I do think businesses need to be braver in terms of what is it that we're really going to stand for? Mm. Is it going to be soil quality? Is it going to be water reduction? Is it going to be carbon reduction? You have to, I think, choose uh, and be brave to target some environmental targets, as well as profit, as well as people, as well as safety. They are all really important. And I think the companies and customers that choose some really stringent and hard targets and are successful will get competitive wins from it. Mm. So I think industry needs to do more in terms of those two key trends, 
talent, female, and really being better custodians of the planet in a material metric that businesses can drive against. Yeah, it's two really good points you make. On the diversity piece, Peter, have you have you experienced a willingness across the industry as a whole um, around that topic? Because it's not a new topic. Diversity has been spoken about for a number of years now. Um, is there a general willingness amongst the people you deal with day to day? Certainly my experience is it's changing and it's more positive than it's ever been. Mm. But it's, a, it's, it's no different in a way to managing change in any other organisation. Mm. Leadership needs to lead the change. There needs to be hard goals. So you're going to get your pay rise this year, Jonathan, because you're going to achieve EBIT, but are you going to cost reduce? You're going to reduce your travel expenses. Oh, and by the way, you're also going to in- increase your female management level by X. Mm. So that's how you instigate change. Mm. If you don't do that and there's, no, there's not an action because you haven't achieved it. So I do sense that businesses are changing. Necessity changes it because I think our industry is, has struggled to recruit people into it. We have a significant amount of Eastern European workers in the food industry for a reason why, well, lots of reasons why that happened, but fundamentally mm. we have. A significant amount of those are females. They come into operational roles. They're exceptional when they do it. So how do you get that base foundation accelerated up through your organization, um, managing all of that? So I think we're better. and We're in a better position to do better going forward. But I think you have to hold business leaders to account to make it happen. Mm, yeah it's top down isn't it very much so and the sustainability piece yeah that's an interesting point you raise there's more more businesses i i see peter with that as a genuine you know part of their strategy you know they're conscious of their footprint on the world if you can put it that way so i suppose looking at your career peter um what advice would you give to someone either starting out in this industry or, or working towards a career like yours what advice would you give them I would give a couple of things, right? I would say, and I've, I, I say especially to female graduates that come into the business, as well as male graduates, but really females. If someone asks you to do a project, if someone asks you to take a job, have confidence that because that individual is asking you to do that job, you can do it. And what I mean by that, too often people choose not to go for jobs because they don't quite think they've got the full skill set, mm-hmm. especially females. If someone asks you to do it, volunteer, do it. If they're a good manager and a leader, they'll make you successful. Mm. They'll make you, they'll coach you, you'll guide you. Yes, they'll work you hard. So accept the responsibility. The second thing is be a good mentor. Grow your team's ability. The success of an individual is because a team environment works seamlessly. Mm. So you have a diverse group of individuals with completely different backgrounds. You need a common purpose, a common goal, common actions, and build the momentum. But people need to be better mentors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I often see in businesses where leaders move on and there isn't the talent to take on a business. It kind of stalls. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not how I want to be and not how I would ask others to be. As you leave organizations and roles, that business should perform better 
going forward because you've built up a talent base that enables them to succeed and go forward. So as a role of a leader, you also need to take the role of a mentor. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's an element of protectionism, though, that people have, fearful that, you know, their job's under threat by someone in their team that's performing or got better or or greater potential than them? Do Do you think that's an element of that around why they don't harvest a better, more successful culture? I think that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely true. I think people uh, take that protectionist view because cultures and organisations aren't quite right. Mm. And it's really challenging. It is because at the one hand, you, you have yourself to look after. You have your family to look after. But on the same hand, you have the, the, the broader perspective. And if you work in the right organisation, that organisation should be rewarding you for building teams, for building businesses, for transforming businesses, the individual results come secondary. Whoever gets mm. across the line, it's almost immaterial, right? If you think about Sky Cycling, right? Brailsford, he's the brains behind it, and mm. Froome and others are crossing the line. Well, Froome gets all the glory, but there's a massive, great, big extended team that's behind. Mm. Mm. But organizations have a responsibility to reward the guys that sit behind the current for want of a better description yeah yeah absolutely and just to come back to your point on um thing you mentioned about lack of confidence sometimes gets in the way of people taking the right job opportunity I, I couldn't agree more with that i often try and encourage candidates to think of it a, a bit like this if they are 100 percent right uh, as in they've got all the skills they can do this job no quibbles then actually, is that job right? I'm a great believer that actually, if you're sort of 85% there, that's perfect because the very reason you're joining a business or joining a role is so that you can continue to learn and develop. If you're already 100% ticking all the boxes, what's actually in it for you? What are you learning? What are you gaining? So for me, that sort of 80, 80 to 90% fit, I think is a, is a, is a great win-win. You know, you're, you're, you're learning in the job from the company they're getting a great employee at the same time who's going to be looking upwards not necessarily sideways or getting frustrated so i I think this sort of sweet spot is about 85 percent. so so therefore people probably will be a bit um not fearful but they'll be aware that actually they've got a bit of learning to do and that's that's what taking that step up is all about isn't it yeah and your point about the learning is really bad no matter what part of your career time frame you're in you have to be learners so there's the academic, there's the book, the online, the study and all the rest of the stuff. But actually, it's as much about learning from other people and their experiences and their input. You know, So you learn a lot about individuals and how other businesses work. And that's a little bit about the networking, the self-learning. You know, Learn from your customers, learn from other people's perspectives. When I was on the board for the British Frozen Food Federation, there were SMEs, live businesses, a real diverse group of people with really different business models. We were all learning off each other. Yeah. It was all about that point was as much about learning off each other. That's what we were giving to that organization. We were get sorry, we, what we were getting back was ability to share experiences. So yeah, when you're starting off on your career path, you won't be able to tick all the boxes. Even today, if I look at roles and jobs, you, you shouldn't be, 100% compliant because you say, how do you grow into a role if you're already 100% into it? Mm. 
Mm. So a bit like Cargill did 25 years ago with me and some others, I probably ticked 40% of the box, mm. yeah? Mm. I suddenly learned the other 60% because you immerse yourself into learning, mm. but it's helpful learning. People want you to be successful. Mm. And I think partly, Peter, why some individuals let that get the better of them in terms of all, oh, you know, I can't do that job. It's, it's comfort zone stuff, isn't it? You know, it's that fear factor. We know we all learn the most when we're pushed out of our comfort zone. Um, yeah. And actually in my experience, when you take that slightly bigger job, take that promotion, move externally from one company to another, that's where the most learning takes place. And that's how you get up the career ladder. And whether that's an internal move or an external move, the principle's the same. But I think to your point, it's a really valid one. Don't let the thought of a bigger job or the fact that you maybe won't know this next job insider, don't let that put you off. Um, there's a saying, isn't there? Fake it until you make it, which I suppose is a bit of truth in there, isn't it? Just <laughs> yeah. get stuck in. And But again, to your point, having good people around you, being part of the right team. A few times you've mentioned about, you know, people and, and, and leaders and leadership. And I think that's key for people, isn't it? It's not necessarily choosing just the right job, but choosing the right people around them. That's something I try and encourage people to think about when they're going in for an interview, for example, the, the job's the job, but actually it's the people. Who is it you're going to work for? Can you learn from them? Do they inspire you? Because quite often if the answer's no, and <laughs> they can't learn from their what will be their hiring manager, they can't learn from them, they're not inspired, then the job won't last really. Uh, it, I completely agree. Inspiration, inspiration comes in different folds. Right? I think when you really think about who are some of the, the most exceptional people you've worked with, either on a leadership, you kind of think, well, they're interested in me. They want me to be successful. They put time into me. Um, they're also exceptionally hard on me. They push me. Mm. Um, they tell me when I've failed or when I can do better. They've made decisions on my career that at the time I didn't like, but actually now when I think back, they were the right ones. They are the types of people that you are probably few and far between, but they are exceptional and you do come across them. You need to learn from them and it's okay to learn. To be a good learner, you also have to accept that you don't know it all. And yeah. that's also a bit of a challenge in industry, mm. the perception that you don't know it all. Well, it, I, I think it's acceptable to say, I don't know it all. Mm. But I'm hoping that somebody in this room between us does know the answer. And that's how it effectively works, right? Mm. If you create an environment where people's voices can be heard and you can assimilate that in, a, as I say, a positive friction, and if you all walk out the door and do the same thing, because often I've found people walk out the door and they continue to do different things, right? But if you all walk out the door to do the same thing, then you stand a chance of being successful in a, in a business environment. Mm, yeah, I think that's a really valid point. And um, well, that brings us to a conclusion. Peter, I think you've made some really, really interesting points um, that people can take away and, and implement in their own careers, the way of thinking as well. So Peter, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for investing the time with me today and uh, let's keep in touch. We'll speak soon. My pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you very much.